0: Not to give too big of a spoiler, but the film Rogue One, a Star Wars story, ends with a very important word hope. When we look at literacy instruction and learning, we find hope when our striving readers begin to master reading comprehension. This incredibly sought after skill unlocks so many others, reaching far beyond mere recall and into analysis, creation, and synthesis. It doesn't matter if you are reading a social studies textbook chapter, Rosie Revere Engineer, or say the schematics used to create the Death Star perhaps. Reading comprehension is about bringing together varied skills to transform information on a page into real power, and yes, hope. Stick around while our ragtag group of rebels in the GLG discuss another such group, the crew of the Rogue One, and tie their collaborative mission for crucial comprehension to our own. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your very own guildmates and hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Libri.
1: We were tempted with this episode being the finale of our trilogy of episodes tied to the Star Wars universe to look at third episodes across all the Star Wars trilogies, but something wasn't clicking. While reading comprehension is the culmination of a reader's journey, it's also the beginning where the reader now has the understanding they need to use what they've read.
2: And, just like the strands of Scarborough's rope or the active model of reading weave together into skilled reading, when we watch Jin, Erso, Cassian Andor, and their team come together with their different backgrounds and skills to heist the plans that reveal the Death Star's exploitable flaw, we are seeing information transform into meaning with intent for that learning to be remembered, shared, and used. So, in the final episode of our very own reading trilogy... We will lock on to some of the pits that befall readers when it comes to comprehension and explore the heist strategies needed to kick comprehension to light speed. Okay, y'all, so today we're actually focusing on Rogue One, which is like the only standalone movie in the Star Wars universe. And I'm gonna just be a little bit. This is my favorite Star Wars movie. (laughs) I really, really like Empire Strikes Back, but I like Rogue One a lot.
1: That is so interesting. Like when we were preparing for this episode, I was telling you, M, that like this is I saw it right when it first came out in 2016, but I have not even thought about
0: it since. <laughs> Casey, that's better than I am. I don't I don't even until it, probably this episode. I didn't even know that this was a thing. <laughs> I am so not representing and all Star Wars fans listening are just sh- shaking their head at me.
2: I well, mean, you already I, lost your geek card with Marvel, so <laughs> they, you know, they you're should kind know of me. beyond a point.
1: <laughs> well, and I feel bad because I am the Star Wars nerd of this group, <laughs> and I like read the books in the extended Ooh, Star Wars really? universe, like Jade Mara, all the, the twins that Luke, <laughs> or no, that Leia and Han Solo have, like I... That was my early literacy dorkiness. And yeah, this one escapes me, but it's good.
2: We'll get rolling. (laughs) Okay, well, for any of our listeners who are not super familiar with Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Rogue One is about a team that is formed from a bunch of different groups of people from different walks of life that all come together and form a common goal. Their goal is to go to a planet where they are storing the data about the construction of the Death Star and to steal those plans and send them to the Rebel Alliance so that they can find the flaw in the Death Star and ultimately lead into the plot of the first Star Wars movie that we know and love.
1: And what's really cool is the summary of this film is in the very first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, where they're like many badins died to get us this information so you know right when this movie starts that it's not going to end well <laughs> spoiler <laughs> so you, alert
2: it is really tragic <laughs> but it is beautiful and hopeful and there, it's actually really funny like there's some characters yeah. in it that really kind of crack you up i think chirit and bays are both really funny with their back and forth to each other and yes, going back to our last episode, we actually have our very first glimpse at a reprogrammed Imperial droid. So even mm-hmm. before the Mandalorian era, we've got K2SO, who's like an Imperial droid that's been reprogrammed for good. And he's actually hilarious. He's voiced by Alan Tudyk. I mean, come on, how could he not be? How could you not love it? That guy yes. is always funny, especially in voiceovers. <laughs> Well, I hate to break up this party and all, but like, how does this, where are we going with this, guys?
0: Because you guys are talking like a completely foreign language to me, so.
1: (laughs) Sorry, we'll bring it all in. Um, A couple of things that I think tie into the Rogue One concept. I mean, it falls into a genre of films that's the heist. Like Emily described, you have a bunch of people coming together to accomplish a task. Audiences know, as I mentioned earlier, how this movie is going to end. And really, when you think about the different fundamental components of reading comprehension, there's actually three different pieces. So the first is the reader, right? The audience, what knowledge, skills and understanding they bring Before they really engage with the quote-unquote text, or in this case, our Rogue One narrative. We know how the story ends. We know what the Star Wars universe basic plot lines are. And so we're coming to this new standalone story with that background information. The next component is the text itself. So our Rogue One film that we're watching, that's similar to a piece of literature, a piece of nonfiction. It's the thing that is meant to be understood And finally, we have the activity or related tasks. Most of us know this as the purpose of reading. Are we reading for information? Are we reading for pleasure? Are we reading to try to persuade or convince someone? For me, when I first saw Rogue One, I remember like... Being completely energized by the thought that oh, now we get to see what actually happened when they were going on this mission to achieve these plans. So, those are really the three main processes that students, when they're in that phase where they've got the four earlier component parts of reading that Amy talked about with us two episodes ago, those are the different things we have to bring into consideration. The text, The reader,
0: what knowledge and skills they're coming to us with. And then the purpose. Why are they reading the thing? So Casey, you're talking about this in terms of like the instructor. So as we're going in lesson designing... These are the three pieces or elements if we're trying to help students through the area of comprehension that we are addressing. If
1: we want their their content heist to be as successful Mm -hmm. as possible, just like our mission here in Rogue One, we have to have awareness of those three components and really be intentional about how we design for them.
2: Yeah. I really want to highlight that third one as well because I think that that's the one that maybe can get lost in the shuffle with instructional design a little bit, especially when you're trying to get reading comprehension. I think sometimes people can get a little bit stuck with working students through texts just for the sake of trying to build that comprehension without really Mm -hmm. considering that activity and related tasks there. And I really do think that connects to Rogue One, too, because I think that when they're doing this whole heist, it's all about finding information. At the end of the day, they really are looking for a text of their own and a particular, Mm -hmm. very specific piece of information from it that they have to pull out. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think what's important about it is if they just get that information and kept it to themselves There is no Star Wars. The series does not exist. Like you said, it's in the opening crawl that spies have stolen this information about the super weapon, the Death Star, right? Mm -hmm. They have to identify the flaw. They have to pass it on to someone else for it to be powerful. And I think that we really need to consider that with our students, too. That if they aren't doing anything with the information that they're taking from text, that that entire final piece is lost.
0: Thing in terms of star wars and i'm as we all know the, out of the three of us the one that knows the least i still see the the extreme value as you connected to that metaphor emily because what if there was no star wars if there wasn't this initial mm-hmm. piece that catalyst
1: the empire
0: would be ruling over all and
1: we
2: would be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there'd be a lot less movies and we would have had done a lot less episodes <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yes. But in seriousness, I really do want to hear more, Casey, about some of the research involved with how we move students towards reading comprehension.
1: Well, the first is probably the most challenging, but it really does have the greatest amount of impact and influence. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. First and foremost, we have to support students developing self-awareness as readers. And um, in some of the training that I've had and some of the research, one of the first things we have to support students in doing is identifying when they're reading something, where does it click and where does it clunk? And I love that clunk connection of like when you think about Star Wars and rebuilding of the ships and you think of the Millennium Falcon being a piece of junk, (laughs) space junk, space trash. (laughs) It just makes you laugh because As kids are reading, they have to be able to track their own understanding. And that is a a crazy high-level skill that as teachers, we have to do a lot of think-alouds and modeling that process, not only in the younger grades, but as they get older to model that metacognition and that reflection. So there are two types of clunks. Uh, When you look at the science of reading camp and research, but I think all even balanced literacy proponents would agree that these are the case. So the first clunk has to do with words. Am I able to translate, right, or decode whatever that message is looking at the symbols and sounds together? So decoding and phonics all tie to that word clunk. The other type of clunk is meaning. So whether that's main ideas, supporting details, am I able to put all of those pieces that I have just decoded in my brain and, as Emily said, transmit it out, whether that's in writing, whether that's in an oral summary, whatever that looks like. Um, And so that metacognitive process of getting students to think what's clicking for you and where did you clunk? (laughs) Where did you start to lose track of key ideas and supporting details or those pieces. That's, I think, the first strategy.
2: I'm having two different thoughts here that kind of connect us back to some of the research that Amy had brought in a couple episodes ago. First of all, when I'm thinking about the visual of Scarborough's rope that we looked at, I like that the two different types of clunk were sort of those different Sections of the rope mm-hmm. that sort of fed together into one. And I know there were like those individual strands of particular types of skills that fed into each of those. But first, like the decoding and ability to actually you know read the word as we think Mm -hmm. of reading and then to connect that reading to some sort of meaning we're like two different areas of the rope that wove together so it makes sense that that would be where things proverbially unravel right Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. using the rope metaphor there I'm jumping metaphors on you sorry Um, but the other thing I was thinking about is um, when we were listening to Amy discuss some of the different things in in some of the newer models in the active model of reading I think that it was interesting that she mentioned executive functioning being an area too Mm -hmm. so sometimes I wonder if another area of clunk could be just like your mind wandered you know it jumped
0: speaking from from yeah. the neurodivergent lens aren't you I
2: mean aren't I <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it and then the next piece that both
1: quote-unquote camps can agree on too is that comprehension strategies should be used that really leverage that metacognition or thinking about thinking now, there is some research out there just to kind of lampshade this. I think it's Torgensen in one of their studies. I forget if they're a he or a she or a they. I apologize. But the goal shouldn't necessarily be to teach comprehension strategies themselves. The goal is to help students declunk, right, that comprehension or that meaning phase By using these strategies but it's the end goal is not to teach kids how to connect how to summarize how to visualize recognize structure ask and answer questions that's not the goal it's okay I've clunked let me now try to summarize to get to meaning let me now try to visualize what's happening to translate and get that meaning And a number of these we've talked about before on our podcasts. Like I think of the visualization strategy when we had Dana Ladenberger on our podcast talking about sketchnoting. There's a bunch. (laughs) Exactly. There's a bunch of different strategies out there that can really
2: leverage some of these things that good readers do. Little pop in from library corner here. I did do a bit of research is Joseph Torgensen. So no no further need to apologize, Casey. We've got (laughs) it it on lock with a quick Google.
1: (laughs) So those comprehension strategies, I don't know about the two of you, but when I have really worked in my coaching role, supporting teachers with this literacy piece, the connect, the prediction, the ask and answer questions, the visualize and summarizing, That's primarily what's done in literacy courses, right? In your ELA and writing classes. Mm -hmm. However, based on the data that you all have looked at over the last couple of years, do you know where
2: students are struggling as readers the most? I mean, my guess would be in other content areas where they don't practice those skills. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: and it's informational text, right?
2: Those nonfiction pieces is where we
1: really see kids consistently struggle when it comes to those
0: clumps. Does that go back to what you were talking about in the last episode with the vocabulary piece? Mm-hmm. Those play yep. play a role into that, yeah. Those do play a huge,
1: huge role. And so those other, those strategies I mentioned earlier, the prediction and the connection and the visualize, those can be a part of a nonfiction or um, an informational text instruction But it's harder. So another thing you can do if you are asking or or challenging your students to read um, and improve their comprehension of informational text, you could use a process like what I'm describing. So the first thing you want kids to do is scan the text. Do multiple readings. The first reading is a quick scan Looking at text features, so headings, bolded words, transitional sentences, things that can kind of give kids a roadmap to here's what I'm going to be looking at when I really dive in and read this piece. Then you can have kids predict, here's what I think the structure of this is going to be. It's going to inform me. It's in chronological order. It's creating an argument even before they connect Those, um, the main topic sentences or the supporting details, just doing that initial accessing prior knowledge, scanning and prediction. That's step one. Then as they read, have them engage in that regular check-in with themselves. What's clicking, what's clunking? What do I know? What's confusing to me? And then as they, after their initial scan and their initial first read, then they go in and start doing the gist. The gist comes in three different parts. It starts with who and what are the main pieces of information I get from this passage or this article that I'm reading. What is the most important thing about that who or that what that I'm reading? And then I shrink that to 10 words or less. So if kids are able to do that process... They are going to increase their comprehension because we're rereading. We already have an idea of what that structure is at the start. And they're periodically doing that metacognition to check in with themselves.
0: Casey, this is great. You know, I'm thinking about when I was teaching Spanish and comprehension was everything. It was the thing that they most struggled with when it came to reading. Now, we did many other skills with we not only reading, but we had writing, listening, and speaking. But in terms of reading, when they didn't know the vocabulary or when they were struggling through that, these this process, although I didn't have it as explicit as you outlined there, we did a lot of these pieces in order to help them meet the comprehension that you're talking about. But one of the main challenges that I always felt, and maybe this is something that this process would have helped with, is stamina. Giving them, like, there are these four steps that you can go through makes it seem a little less daunting than I just don't understand anything and I don't know where to start. That stamina was something that a lot of times students were just felt like they were dead in the water when really they wouldn't have been if you give them the steps or the process or the the strategies even like we talked about in the segment before to help them through these comprehension pieces when we feel like we're getting stuck.
2: Yes, and piggybacking on that, having taught close reading and summary in the rhetoric classes that I was working with as a co-teacher in the past couple of years, this process definitely is one that can be scaffolded up by changing mm-hmm. the complexity of the texts that are that are being given to students. That kind of helps them work those muscles and build that stamina. And I love just being able to make the connection to seeing the gists, for example, and the previewing and kind of predicting what the article is going to be about and even like wrapping it up or using that some of those summarizing strategies. But based on the gists that were written, those were a part of the annotations, like the, some of the very first things we taught students how to do when they would come into that class to make sure that they're able to eventually pull out the important parts of it and summarize them for usage later. And what's another connection that I'm making is you mentioned informational text being the hardest. That's all we read in that class. Yeah. And I was recently approached by some other teachers who were kind of saying, hey, what are some reading strategies that might work in other content areas? And it was nice to be able to pull some of those close reading and annotation strategies out and push them across uh, to another content area and see where they could get some help with it. Because like you said, they're struggling there.
1: Right. And I think, too, I know we've had conversations on our podcast before about standardized testing. You know, it's one of those necessary, uncomfortable evils, right?
2: Yeah, I just and- made a face. <laughs> Nobody saw it, but you saw it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I did. I you outed
2: yourself. Off. No one had to know. <laughs> and, I mean, and- I'm nothing if not honest. <laughs> Let's go.
1: And the ability to not only answer questions that are of a higher level of rigor... Right. And we know, like with our social studies and our science curriculums, the ability to ask questions of varying degrees of difficulty is also a challenge. And so, as we're reading, another thing, another strategy that again is research backed and based is one I have just recently learned about, but. I think it could really help in a lot of this informational text realm, too. It's called the question-answer relationship strategy. Has Have you guys ever heard of this?
2: No, this is new to me.
1: Okay, so it's so funny because in my district, one of my new teammates, as we were learning about all of these research-based strategies over the last couple of months, she's like, I did this. I did this this many years ago and it's it it does feel like a pendulum swing but it was completely new to me and I'm I as I learned about it I'm like oh my gosh that's so awesome and I just thought it was a really useful way to get kids to reflect on questions but also give them kind of a cheat sheet when they face some more rigorous questions on a standardized assessment so the way the QAR strategy works is you have four different categories of questions and answers. So the first is right there in the text. That's the first category in the text. So as I'm looking at a passage, it is a very definitive answer that I'm gonna find a direct quote to respond to it. So for example, Emily, do you want to share our example? Because you could do the name better yes, than Yes, I, I can,
2: because <laughs> I like this movie. All right. Yeah. So the question would be, having watched the movie Rogue One, which apparently I'm the only one who will answer it, what is Chirrut's <laughs> mantra that he repeats when he prepares to enter into any of the battles he enters into?
1: Right. So I'd look right at the text, i.e. our movie in this situation, and I'd be able to
2: tell you that answer. And that it is, I am one with the force and the force is with me. Okay. There you go.
1: Perfect. The next type of question is in my head, meaning I don't have to look back at the text that I'm reading to come up with an idea. I just am making that connection. Again, bringing back that comprehension strategy. The answer entirely comes from my background knowledge. So a Star Wars Rogue One example here would be describe a time when you had to work together with a group of people to accomplish a task. I would be able to make that connection not only with my life, but with the characters and the main plot of our movie.
2: So the connection to the movie isn't explicit. You're just intended to kind of jump to it from your own experience. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pull out the
1: text to cite it. It comes, it's inspired by Got it. The next is a think and search. So again, these go kind of in higher levels of difficulty as I'm going through them. So in this particular question and answer type, learners and thinkers have to bounce to different places across the text to find an answer. And they'll have to eventually combine it into one. So for example, what conflicts did Jin face during Rogue One and what did we learn about her from those experiences? I'm going to have to track several moments over the course of my text in order to answer that question and get some meaning from that.
0: And that also shows the level of complexity, as you said, is becoming more in depth than the other ones you just mentioned. Mm
1: Right, And like Amy Stewart said, one of the core skills that kids have to develop when it comes to their reading is that working memory, being able to hold that information in their brains for longer periods of time. That think and search question is an example of us bringing that to life. And then the last question, I think, is the most engaging, and these remind me of, in our social studies units of study, our essential question or our guiding question. How did being in the right place and the right time turn the main characters in Rogue One into heroes? I'm having to pull from multiple examples from the text, yes, but I'm also having to translate or transfer that knowledge into a different setting.
2: Well, and actually in more than one way, right? Because that Mm -hmm. question is not only asking you to go through the text and find where they were in the right place at the right time, but also how each of those characters develops into a hero. So you're really bringing a lot together there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So having kids, you could do this in multiple ways. You could provide kids the questions having them categorize, you know, where is it in the text? Is it in my head? Is it a think and search? Is it an author and me? I've even seen people give kids cue cards, like a number one isn't in the text, a number four is an author and me. And after they read something, I put a key concept or something from the reading and they have to categorize, is it a think and search, is it in my head, or is it an author and me? Or Kids can write their own questions and then Mm. categorize them, which is even more fun and adds to that level of student ownership
2: and agency. Well, to give you your bonus points, I mean, bringing it back to the questioning episode when we talked about Mm -hmm. some of the student-generated questions and the power of that, it's nice to uh, be able to bring that back around and give them another lens for which they can sort their own student-created questions. Right.
1: So that's one of my favorites that really can make a big difference. In reading comprehension and it's test prep without being boring (laughs) because a lot of those standardized assessments use those different question types.
0: That's a really important point to bring up, Casey, especially because who wouldn't rather have it still be customizable but also know that you're killing two birds with one stone rather than just taking direct questions from a practice exam for kids to then go through and then feel as though they're burdened or bored by it
1: well and back to our our last episode two in this trilogy like avoiding the droid mm-hmm. yeah it's a strategy that is multi-purpose multi-function, and it can be used across content areas it doesn't just have to live In ELA, it can live in science and social studies, and even hate to say it, but even math, you could benefit from this too.
2: Oh, yeah, they definitely could be brought cross content. And I really do love the connection for writing too, because again, a lot of what we do in ELA is moving students to be able to do more analytical types of writing. And when you really think about the skills that go into writing for analysis or persuasion, like you said earlier, reading for a purpose, but then also reading for the purpose mm-hmm. to be to write about it, I think that you can really get a lot out of these different types of questions. All of them are going to find their place into a good analytical writing piece. Okay, so in the spirit then of pulling out the important information and really utilizing it to create meaning, I kind of want us to take a little meander through all of the Reading Wars episodes we've done, right? We've really kind of worked through a whole trilogy now, focusing on the science of reading in general, focusing on vocabulary acquisition through our Avoid the Droid episode. And now on this Rogue One episode, we've really been thinking about comprehension and using the information that we get. I really would love to hear what your key takeaways are from the entire trilogy. What did you comprehend and find meaning in?
0: I'm trying to find a way to synthesize it into something that is pretty short. But for me, the one thing that's really standing out to me is especially when it came to the struggle as the group of three that we are in that Avoid the Droid episode that we really had to work through as secondary educators by by trade and in, in our hearts, what is needed for explicitly helping our kids here and now, the type of students that we have in our classrooms, right, where we are, as secondary educators, oftentimes wanting to be a part of and focus on the content, but really what do we need to do to help explicitly teach our students the type of vocabulary pieces that they need to access, the language that they need in order to read and, and comprehend. And then I have to throw in a little extra in just the the flanking episodes. It was great to learn more. I, I just can't say enough how much I've still got to learn about this. And even having taught oh, yeah. students reading in another language, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And oh, I wish I could have done that better. And that's where I think we need to give ourselves the grace to understand that even though I am several years into my teaching career I still am like oh my gosh there's so much there and it's okay to learn more and we should learn more and we should know better and do better as we go and that's going to be okay but just stick with it. My takeaways a
1: couple of things first I really appreciated
0: Amy bringing
1: up that new model that she mentioned of reading that not only incorporates word acquisition and those comprehension pieces, but also the motivation and stamina and how do we encourage kids and eliminate some barriers or hurdles when it comes to reading. I really felt like, oh, I want to learn more about that. Above the Fray is in my shopping cart on Amazon because I collect all the books. (laughs) And then the other piece, just in my own science of reading journey over the last couple of months, the biggest thing just to hammer home is the necessity for not only students to read the word, but to speak the word and to write the word. And they need multiple exposures in order to cement new vocabulary so they can bring it out later. Like that to me is the number one thing that I will forever be taking away from this. It has the potential to support our multilingual learners, striving learners. Everybody can benefit from more reading, speaking, hearing, and writing the words.
2: I agree with you and my takeaway was pretty similar it was just really reading as a form of training right Mm -hmm. Um, again full disclosure my kiddo has been sick for the last couple days and he's the big Star Wars buff in our house so we've been watching a ton of Star Wars stuff and we watched all of the Luke Skywalker training montages over and over again (laughs) and it was interesting to me because the whole time I was thinking of all the stuff that Amy Mm -hmm. was saying in terms of the different like you said the different modalities and the different ways of practicing and the different strands that like we mentioned all weave together. to make a skilled reader, you're not just swinging a lightsaber around. There's all Mm -hmm. kinds of different aspects of study that go into making a successful reader. And I think we really want to consider not just that there's so many different aspects that go into making a successful reader, but also consider the shared responsibility we all Mm -hmm. have across different content areas. And I think, like Jenny mentioned, that struggle that some of us as secondary educators have with throwing our arms around teaching reading especially because like you had mentioned in the previous episode and in the episode with Amy Casey I think you had drawn drawn reference to the fact that we weren't trained to teach reading but I think the more we all study about it and embrace that shared responsibility the less we'll see kids struggling I really do mm-hmm. all right well on that note of hope yeah, <laughs> Love we're <it>. doing that <laughs> who feels like playing a game yes
1: let's go for is it. it
2: even a question I mean, we're going to play a game, whether you feel like it or not. All right. We're in our final round of Star Wars-centric Milk Margarita Malort. So a quick sum up, if you're just jumping in, I can't imagine that you wouldn't have heard this yet. But just in case, milk equals something we really like. Lots of that. Margarita equals once in a while, sometimes, and Malort. I mean, Malort is the grossest liquor ever to exist. Google it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, if you don't know it, Google Malort equals dumpster. (laughs) Get rid of it. And some of these are hard for different reasons when we do these. And you'll probably have heard that in the last episode, too. We really struggled with a few of these. But tonight, we are actually going to be focusing on... I don't have a really good classification for this. I just put it down as alien types. (laughs) And the ones on the table are Wookiees, like Chewbacca, uh, Ewoks, and... I don't think this species is actually listed or named but whatever Yoda and Grogu are that species so there's the three
1: (laughs) from the quick glance I did there it's it is shrouded in mystery what their true species is called okay glad it
2: it, I don't know but I'm just glad it wasn't a lapse in reading comprehension on my part (laughs) well played the
1: force moves in mysterious ways who knows
2: all right so Um, milk margarita I'm alert folks
1: I'll go ahead and kick this one off. To me, I am probably going to be in trouble for this, but Wookiees are my malort. (laughs) I cannot handle the... (laughs) (laughs) No, it hurts my ears. There's so much hair. I just can't do it. But you take the
0: Sarlacc in episode (laughs) one.
1: (laughs) He's just a hole in the ground who deserves love But Chewie. It's fine. Uh, uh, No. I mean, Chewie is useful um, as the mechanic. So he has a fun. But no, no. So my milk would be the Ewoks. They're so cute. (laughs) (laughs) I love the Ewoks. They're so sweet and so welcoming, and they do their best. They just speak to me. (laughs) So I love them. And then Yoda, Grogu. I think Yoda would be my margarita because every so often getting a little training, getting a little wisdom is fine, but that stuff
2: would get annoying
1: kind of fast.
2: Well, hello from polar opposite of you land. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to go a completely 180 from you because milk for Wookiees. I am sorry. I love Chewie. Chewy is my favorite <laughs> character. And you better cover your ears because I used to in high school impersonate Chewie probably a lot. So I'm going to do, do it. it. I will because I have to. All right. So. <laughs> oh, God.
0: It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, Got to Nope, I love well, Wookiees. I it's like It's like a kazoo <laughs> with a. It's horrible. Nope. I like how everybody <laughs> understands him, even when he's just doing that. I think that that's hilarious, <laughs> and they they like don't subtitle it. They just expect you to rely on your intelligence context and like clues. context clues to like get what's going on and know what Chewie's on about and how he's feeling. They give you so much. Uh, he is a loyal buddy to the end. He sticks with Han, and then he sticks with. You know, the the folks in the sequels, he, like, really is for the for the rebels, and he's always helping out. He gets a lot done, and I love him. I love him. He's humongous and amazing. <laughs> All right. Ewoks, those guys are the Malort. <laughs> <laughs> they are annoying. <laughs> they are attacking everybody, and their little song at the end of... Um, I love it. Return of the <laughs> Jedi is so annoying. I don't like it.
1: I don't like it.
2: I mean, they're cute, I guess. But, like, there's so many of them, too. And I'm just like, "Mm, I'm over it. All right. And then where we will match is where Yoda and Grogu are the margarita. I like them. Baby Yoda's adorable. My kids really like them. And Yoda's got the training skills. And if anybody likes the bad lip reading videos, they like (laughs) almost all feature Yoda. So, yeah. (laughs) At least all the good ones.
0: (laughs) Man, we all three are on opposite ends on this one. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. So I put Yoda or and Grogu their species as the as the milk because, well, of course they're they're just great. And especially with Yoda, he's the depth of conversation. Although I need might need to translate some of his backwards talking, he's going to be willing to want to teach me, and I like to learn. And so he's the milk. I again, I don't, I would would not Margaret. Again, I would not malort the Wookiees. I don't think, Emily, I love them nearly as much as you do, but putting those as the margarita. They're loyal, like you said. They're useful and helpful and probably very good at protection if needed. And, well, I guess you and I match on at least one of them, so I wasn't completely off. But Ewoks are malort. They (laughs) are... creepy i don't even think they're cute i think that they <laughs> they almost belong in in the movie willow as like some of the bad guys like they're oh, like
1: okay they, but you ooh, know warwick ooh. davis yes was he played the main Ewoks, yes. Who was that's also right that's right i
0: didn't even put that together but yeah. dang mm-hmm. they they no nope they're just freaky no thanks they're a little uncanny valley i'll give yeah. you that <laughs>
1: All right. They take down with with Chewie's help, I will give credit where credit is due. They do take out a bunch of those like cheesy stilt walker monster or contraptions. So they are resourceful little guys. I mean, but.
2: those things are stupid anyways <laughs> No bonus points for anyone. <laughs> womp womp. Who wins on this one? Nobody. Nope. The Ewoks, the Ewoks. <laughs> The Ewoks Do they? Win. No, no, let the Wookiee win. Boom! Uh, l- let the Wookiee win is a quote from Star Wars. Let
0: the
1: Wookiee win. Well, and, and because he got screwed, the Wookiee got screwed at the end of A New Hope. He was right alongside with Luke and Han, and they didn't even bother to give him a medal at the end yeah. of A New Hope. So we'll let Chewie, the you win. will
2: always have a medal in my heart. <laughs> All right. So a taste of what's to come. Believe it or not, this fall has kind of flown by while we've discussed behavior. We've discussed strategies for new coaching interactions and we focused on our reading trilogy. The fall of 2023 has just flown right by and we are ready, believe it or not, for the pop culture winter wonderland. So keep your ears open for some holiday centric and pop culture connection episodes, short ones, fun ones to get you through your holidays and break looking forward to bringing those to you.
0: And that's a wrap on today's episode. It's always so fun to be behind the mics talking to you, our GLG fam. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. The Grounded Learners Guild is a production of Grounded Learning, LLC. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. As always, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com. While you were there, check out our past episodes, our socials, and learn how you can bring the GLG flavor to your next professional learning event. And yep, you know, your feedback is everything. Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you all at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.